0: Amen. Well, welcome again to church. My name is Joe. Uh, if you came in a little bit late, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic. I've got an incredible family, Jolie and Jason and Levi and Jovi, and we are just getting into the swing of things here at Mosaic. Um, our kids are enjoying their first couple of weeks of school here in Milford, and uh, we're just getting settled. Hopefully we'll get in our house in a couple of weeks, uh, that weeks that, that we have a contract on. And so life is a whirlwind. Man, we feel, we're still feeling like we're in limbo. Uh, Because all of our stuff is still in storage in Illinois But here's what I know I am so pumped every single Sunday to get to be here with you And man, I've met with a ton of people over the last couple weeks And every single person that I meet with I'm just more thankful that I get to build relationships with you That I get to hang out with you That I get to do life with you But during this series over the last few weeks We've been talking about the why, the what And today we're going to talk about the how we do church. The why, the what, and the how. And so I'm not gonna recap the messages from the past couple of weeks. You can go back and you can listen on our YouTube channel if you if you like, but this question how today is so huge. When we talk about how mosaic functions, we're looking at strategy, focus, and intentionality. Have you ever heard someone say, and all the husbands better raise their hand, have you ever heard someone say to you, it's not what you said. It's how you said it, yeah. right? Anybody? Yeah. The how really, really matters. For instance, when I say my pleasure, you think exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Elaine. That's exactly what I thought. Obviously, me and Elaine are on the same wavelength today. But yeah, when when somebody says, my pleasure, I immediately think Chick-fil-A. Why? Because they are so intentional with the how. They serve people. I'm sure that we've all had our own retail or restaurant nightmare stories. I'm not going to mention the name of the institution, but one day I was leaving Florida to drive all the way back to Illinois, and it was four in the morning, and everyone else in the car was asleep, and I was hungry, so I pulled through the drive-thru of of one of those institutions that's open at 4 a.m., and there's not many, and I order my bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. How could you mess that up, right? And so I grab the to-go order through the drive-thru. I jump back on the highway. I'm eating and driving because I got skills. And, um, and so I've got my coffee. I've got my sandwich. I unwrap that thing. And man, by this time, I'm jonesing, right? I'm ready to bite into that amazing breakfast sandwich. And because the car's dark and everybody's sleeping, I just di- I, I take a huge bite only to realize that I got someone else's order. And someone else likes, like, ridiculous amounts of mayonnaise on their breakfast sandwiches. And let me tell you, that scarred me, right? For the rest of my life, every time I order that sandwich, I think of my mouth full of mayonnaise. And if you love mayonnaise, I've heard of people that eat mayonnaise by the spoonful. That's just not me, right? But man, how... An organization functions, and the experiences that you have, when you interact with any organization really, really matter. There's a, there's a great book called "Power of Moments." And here's a, here's a quote from that book. It says, "Research has found that in recalling an experience, we ignore most of what happened and we focused, and we focus instead on a few particular moments. What does that tell me? That when you and I interact with people here at Mosaic Church, how we interact with them really matters. The book tells the story of this this famous hotel in Los Angeles, California, and it's called the Magic Castle Hotel. Who wouldn't love a hotel called the Magic Castle? And most of the times when places have funny names like that, you're like, it's probably not as great as it sounds. Well, this particular hotel has a red phone by, by the pool that you can pick up at any time, and somebody will answer on the other end of the line and say, popsicle hotline, what would you like? And within a minute, somebody comes out with a silver tray with whatever flavor popsicle that you wanted, poolside. The hotel has free candy, free soda, board games, DVDs, free laundry, all these amazing things at a very average hotel. So it's an ordinary hotel providing an extraordinary experience. I tell you what, church, if Chick-fil-A can say my pleasure and the Magic Castle can do free popsicles, man, we can figure something out to make sure that when we encounter people that are hungry, lost, dying, not sure about their eternity, that we can make a difference because we're carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most life-changing a freedom inducing message in the entire world. How much more excellently should we, the church, handle interactions between the gospel and the people the gospel was intended for, the lost? You see, many people aren't turned off by Jesus, they're turned off by their interactions with those that say they follow him. So, this is why the how is incredibly important. Christian Stanfill, he's one of my favorite worship leaders, and he says this about leading worship. He says, you have to approach it with a good sense of awe and wonder. As a worship leader, you're carrying a message that's amazing, it's awe-inspiring, it's life-changing, it's transformative, it's a big message, and you want to do it right. Man, church, as your pastor, this weighs heavy on my heart every single Sunday that I just don't want to get up here and give you some leftovers. Man, I'm carrying the greatest message in the entire world, and I've, I've got a responsibility to do it right. You, Christ follower, you carry his name, and how you carry it really, really matters. And so we believe Here at Mosaic, that God has placed us here strategically at our community for such a time as this, and how we go about interacting with our community really, really matters. Listen, if, if our church was gone tomorrow, would anyone notice? Would they say we made a difference? Would they say that we shined bright? Just like Jesus said, we're supposed to be a city on a hill, shining bright, not hiding our light. Would they say we shined bright? Unfortunately, far too many churches and Christ followers are unaware of how they're interacting with those far from God. And this is why it's so important today for us to talk about the how. How do we do church? So on, uh, hopefully a seat near you, if there's not one near you, look around and you can go grab one, or you can jump on your app, the notes are on there too but you can follow along in your notes today. You can fill in the blanks. They'll be on the screen. The first thing that we need to know about how we do church is, number one, we are a three-chair church. Maybe you've been here a long time, and you're like, I didn't know that. That's because it's new, right? I'm sharing my heart with you. These are the matters on my heart. This is the, these are the matters on our heart as a church. This is why we're here. We're a three-chair church. You see, church, I believe that every church should be made up of thirds. What does that mean? And I'm not talking literally. I'm talking this is a great framework for us to to put put our lives and our ministries through. So first of all, we should be a third unbelievers, right? We should have unbelievers in the church building. If we don't, then what are we doing, right? Right? This should be a safe place where unbelievers can feel safe to come and kick the tires and explore the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. The church should be a third new believers. These are people that have just found Jesus. They're wild-eyed about him. They love Jesus with all their heart. They're the most passionate people in the building. They're inviting others. The Bible calls these people, and don't be offended if you're a new believer, but the Bible calls these people baby Christians, and I love that because we're new and we're growing and everything's new, and you just think of the awe and the wonder that a baby has when they're looking at the world and they're excited about everything. That's a new believer. And then the, the church should be a third mature believer's. These are the people that haven't just come to church a long time, but they're they're discipling others. They realize that it's not about them. They're giving back. They're dying to themselves. They're Christ's ambassadors. They know that it has nothing to do with the amount of time they've attended church. It has everything to do with how mature they've actually become. You see, church, the fruit of the Spirit show our maturity, not how many years we've attended church. Right? So listen, if the church was made up of all mature believers, like and everybody just was an insider and loved Jesus and knew Jesus, you know, you know, what would the church be? It'd be a country club. Right? All about the insiders. If the church was only made up of new believers, it would be the world's largest nursery. And there'd be Cheerios and goldfish everywhere, right? And it would just be this huge ball of of excitement, but not much structure. If the church was all unbelievers, what is it? It's a bar, right? And so you see how, man, when we come to church and we do ministry, we've got to be intentional that what we say and how we say it makes sense to all three chairs. Love that. Every ministry environment at Mosaic needs to be a place where anyone at the table can understand, learn, and grow in their understanding and their relationship with Jesus. I love what William Temple, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury, said. He said, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. We don't exist for us, Christ followers. We exist as a city on a hill for a broken and dying world that desperately needs a savior. And so as we journey with people, we have to remember that everyone is at a different place in their journey, right? Why is this so important? Because Jesus came to seek and save lost people. And if we forget our purpose and we forget who we're talking to sometimes, sometimes we can use language that, that the people that, that the gospel is intended for don't even understand. Right? As believers, we have to die to our preferences. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Think about that for a moment. How does that statement, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ, how does that statement mesh with the normal American church? Most of the time when we come in, we're like, "I didn't, I didn't like that song. I didn't like that, and, and, and I just want to say, you know what? The worship team wasn't singing it for you, right? It wasn't for you. It was for him, and so Paul got it. He's like, and I love how he's leading the church in Corinth. Man, i become a slave to all people so that I could bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jew- Jewish law, I too lived under that law, Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I could bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Man, that fires me up. Paul understood that when I follow Christ, I follow him as in his example of laying my life down, just like he laid his life down on the cross and saying, what can I do to be a bridge for someone else to experience the same grace that I've experienced? In essence, Paul is saying that he'd do anything short of sin to help bring people into relationship with Jesus. Now, do, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean we compromise the gospel. That doesn't, this doesn't mean we water it down. It simply means that I'm laying down my preferences and I'm doing whatever I need to do to make sure the gospel is clear to the people that God has given us an opportunity to reach. Amen. You see the foundation of being a three-chair church is having a huge heart for lost people and helping them come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that I've found to grow my heart for lost and broken people is to spend time at the feet of Jesus on my knees, saying, God, let my heart break for what your heart breaks for. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 Paul says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. In 1 Corinthians 14, 9, he says, if you speak in, if you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking to empty space. And so the heart that Paul just over and over in all these different epistles is talking to the church, he's like, hey. Be wise in how we interact with those outside of the church. Number two, how do we operate? How do we act as a church? We display unity by our actions and attitudes. Now, this one, to me, is one of the hardest for us to get because just as a society, we are so divided as a people, we're, oftentimes we're so divided. We all have preferences. We all have opinions. We all have ways we think things should be done. But the Bible, Paul calls us to be unified. That was Jesus' prayer for his disciples in, in, the, in the book of John before he went to be crucified. Let these guys be together. Let them be unified. In Philippians two fourteen through 15, Paul encourages us to do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Leave, live clean, as innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So how are we gonna shine? By how unified we are. But listen, it's not just unity for unity's sake. It's not just like we're just one, you know, just people just kind of droning on together and none of us have opinions and none of us have preferences. That's not it at all. It's unity for the glory of God so that when people see us, they see a unified body of Christ serving his goals. Amen? Amen. You see, there will be disagreements, but there's a right and a wrong way to handle those disagreements. Disagreements were nothing new, not even in the Bible. You see, in the New Testament, in many times, there was disagreements. The disciples argued. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, you know, saw things differently and actually split ways and went and ministered in different places. Peter and Paul in Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes how they maybe saw some things different and decided to, 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 to part ways and minister in different areas. That doesn't mean that they were on different missions or had different goals, but they decided to minister in different places. First Corinthians, we're reading a lot of verses from that book today. The whole book is based on the fact that Corinth, the church in Corinth was divided and was not unified. The church was full of disagreements. Listen, life is too short not to enjoy church. Life is too short to go through life constantly in friction with other people, especially the family of God. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you don't enjoy where you're at, Find some place where you can go and be unified because God would much rather you be unified with the body of Christ than to stay somewhere and sour or rot on the vine. That is how strongly I believe God feels about our unity. We have to be unified. You see, when someone forgets that they're a part of something bigger, they begin to see themselves as a separate as separate, and sometimes take on their own identity that's within the whole. And it's like, I've got my thing and you've got your thing and we'll just do our things, right? But while people will and should be unique and have differences, there has to be this underlying thread of unity throughout every endeavor in the church. Why? Because we could do so much more together than we could ever do apart Church, something amazing happens when God's church is unified in its mission to bring God's message to its community. And so in our language and our actions and our attitude, remember you're not on your own. You're a part of a family working towards a common goal. Side note, rabbit trail. If you can't keep words and actions coming out of your fingertips that don't promote unity just stay off facebook you don't help yourself or the cause of christ when you're just avoid, when you just have to get your opinion in what are you representing to the world be unified. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. I'd rather be of one mind, unified, united in thought and purpose. Too many times things Sneak in gossip and backbiting, and I can't believe they did this, and I can't believe that person did that. And oh my goodness, could you believe uh, that outfit that Pastor Joe had on today? I just can't believe it. And you know, you're talking about everybody when they're not in the room. Listen what the Bible says. Listen the type of behaviors that the Bible lumps gossip in with. In Romans 128, it says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Man. Paul drops the hammer to the Romans, and he says, man, if you're involved in gossip, not only does it tear apart the the unity of God's body, but it's way more damaging than you think. Number three, how do we do church? We do everything with excellence and love. Now, some people... When you start talking about excellence, man, we're gonna do our best with what we have, and we're gonna do things the absolute best that we're they're like, why? Why does everything have to be perfect? No one ever said perfect. And but here's, here's what we've got to remember about excellence. If we don't do our best, we're leaving something on the table that God gave us. We're leaving potential on the table. Paul says it like this. Uh, and, and But but here's the deal. If we don't combine excellence and love, then we miss the mark in a massive way. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He said, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Man, before after this, he goes on about all kinds of things that you could do as a church. You could know everything. You could have the best answer for everybody. You could be full of spiritual gifts and do all kinds of amazing things for God. But if you don't pair it with love, you're nothing. And so excellence and love are an amazing combo and they have to go together. Listen, when you have excellence plus ego, when it's just I want it to be excellent so we look good or we sound good or, we, or everybody thinks we're awesome or whatever, excellence plus ego equals dysfunction. But excellence plus love equals connection. It equals Connection. You say, Joe, what do you mean? Listen, excellence communicates that people matter. When we prepare well as a church, when we communicate well, when we treat our interactions in the church like they are very important, people feel loved, right? They feel loved. It's kind of like when you show up to somebody's house that has you over for dinner and man, you walk into that house and, and a lot of times you don't even notice it, but it smells good. They got the candles burning. They got the lighting just right. Uh, man, you smell that home cooked food. They aren't hot, heating up a hot pocket. They, don't, they didn't get a stofers and throw it uh, from the freezer into the oven. Man, you know what it smells like when it's that home cooked food. And they went the extra mile and that excellence plus the love communicated that you matter to them. Amen. Amen. If you want to know my heart, church, that's it. As a pastor, I want us to do things with excellence and love because that says you matter. (laughs) We also believe that the gospel is worth our absolute best effort, right? When we do our best behind the scenes, when we love people extravagantly, when we're with them, it's a very tangible expression of how much God loves people. Man, in the early days of my ministry back in Illinois, we didn't have much. We were broke as a joke, right? We were just hoping every week that as a church we could pay the bills. And so we committed to, we said, we're gonna do the best we can with what we have, right? Doesn't mean that we can do everything. Doesn't mean that we can, you know, always, you know, not even, we can't always fix this or fix that, but we can do the best we can with what we have we can be good stewards of what god's given us amen you know what the enemy of excellence is in your life and mine comfort comfort and that's why i'm so thankful that god is more interested in my character than he is in my comfort he's interested in us doing our best presenting our best second timothy 2:15 says work hard So you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Now don't be misunderstood. That doesn't mean you can work for your salvation. But once you are saved, you can work to put a smile on God's face and do your best. Number four, how do we do church here at Mosaic? Church, we're gonna be committed to consistent improvement. And this isn't just about church. This is what I would hope that your heart is for your own life, that you would make a commitment to Jesus to always be about improving something in your life. In 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27, it says this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. I love that. All athletes are disciplined in the training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadowboxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Man, talk about some heavy words from the Apostle Paul. church, after I read that, I hear one thing. I can't settle. I can't settle. God's not called me to mediocrity, and we're not just talking about stuff everybody sees in my personal life, how I operate, how I personally organize my life. I've got to be a good steward of my time. I've got to be a good steward of my resources so that I can be the best person I can possibly be for my Savior. There's an amazing book that I'd encourage you if you're kind of like to geek out about why things are the way they are. There's a book called The Goldmine Effect by Rasmus Ankersen. Um, So this guy, he's Scandinavian, obviously, Um, he took a trip around the world to research why in the world these six different locations are producing more world-class athletes that go on to win at a world-class level than anywhere else in their respective sports. So for instance, he went to Kenya and Ethiopia to see why they're so good at running. He went to Russia to figure out why they're producing so many amazing female tennis players. He went to South Korea to figure out why their girls' golf program is second to none. He goes to Brazil to figure out why these kids just keep coming out of Brazil as an amazing soccer player. You know what he found? There's nothing special about any of them. Not one thing. Nothing special but they were committed to consistent improvement from an incredibly young age. In one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, he talks about the 10,000-hour principle giving. If you give 10,000 hours to anything in life, you could become an expert in that area. Well, Rasmus Ankerson likened these kids in Brazil to the 10,000-hour rule that by the time these kids were hitting high school, they had already played 10,000 hours of soccer in their life right? Man, when I hear stories like this and just the commitment to things that are so incredibly temporal and are just here, and man, when I die, it won't matter how good of a soccer player I was or how good of an athlete I was or how good of a runner I was, but man, people can give their lives to that. I'm like, how much more should we in the house of God be committed to consistent improvement in our life? Then I'm not going to settle with my my family life and how it is. I'm not going to settle with my my pastoral position and how it is. I want to get better. I don't want to be the lid on what God does at Mosaic Church. I want to get better. You see, when the leader gets better, everyone wins. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so I want to get better. Church, I want, to, I want you to get better. I don't want to ever want this tension to need to grow to go away. To do that, we need to do a few things. We need to have a plan for growth. We need to read and listen, have a mentor. We need to be open to feedback and be teachable, be humble. And throughout my leadership journey, here's a few things I've noticed. There's a few types of people. When you start start talking about consistent growth and improving and, and getting better, here's a few reactions. First of all, there's the people that never feel good enough. And their reaction is like, what? You think there's something wrong with me? Right? When I'm like, hey, we need to get better, we need to do this, you know, do this. And, and their first reaction is defensive, like, wait, what you think there's something wrong with me? It's almost like I started talking about their mother. Right? And and it's like, no, no, we're just, we wanna get better. And then, and and, and just a side note with that, insecurity will always derail your personal growth. And then there's the people who have, Settled somewhere in the middle, and they're like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need that. I just want to clock in and clock out of life. I've reached my desired level of comfort, and I don't want to push anymore. You know what research says? Research says that um, the average person in America, um, you know, and this is a rough number. It's different with different places. Man, when they when they start making about seventy five thousand dollars a year, they're comfortable. And that's just a financial example, but too many times we reach a certain level of comfort, whatever it is for you, a personalized level for comfort, and you're like, I'm good. And then we start to look at all the things outside of ourselves in lives that could be better, and we're like, I wish that could be fixed, I wish that could be fixed, and it's like, wait, wait, wait. Man, I still need Fixing. And then there's the people who have an inflated view of themselves. So we have the people who never feel good, good enough. We have the people who've settled for mediocrity. And then we have the people that think that they're all that in a bag of chips, right? And they nod as you talk about getting better. Their first reaction is they tell you all the amazing things they've ever done because they're amazing, right? Can I present to you a fourth option, though? How about not insecurity, not mediocrity, And not arrogance. How about something um, I think John Maxwell calls the rubber band principle. That there's always tension. That we always keep a little bit of tension between who we are and who we know God wants us to be. Listen, the people that acknowledge that there's a gap between where we are and where God wants me to be are the people that grow that you acknowledge and it's okay that you're not there. It's okay that you're on the journey. I, I, I know that for myself, church, the older I get, the wiser I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. The more I realize how fallible and capable of error I am, that I need you and you need me and we need each other to continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this attitude, I'm never going to stop growing. Listen, less than 3%, we're going to close with this today, less than 3% of Americans have written goals, and less than 1% review and rewrite their goals on a daily basis. And you know know what that translates into? That 90% of people don't achieve their goals. And church, I don't say that to beat ourselves up, because hey, There's always a tension in my life. I usually don't meet all my goals. I usually don't, you know, um, like for instance, I had a goal to run 10 marathons by the time I was 40. Guess what? I turned 40 a few weeks ago, and I didn't make it, (laughs) right? And I even told people, man, this is my goal. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Guess what? It didn't happen. But you know what? I'm okay not meeting that goal. I'm okay not meeting that goal, but I'm not okay showing up at Jesus' feet after I cross over into glory and not hearing, well done. And so church, we are believers. We are overcomers because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we mm. Can do better we can do better and so with all the pastoral heart that I can muster I want to encourage you I know you don't need to know me that long and I, don't, I haven't known you that long and we're still figuring all this out and getting to know each other but one thing that we can rally around is that we have not arrived and we've got a ways to go and we're going to get better amen what an amazing humble attitude to come to Jesus with that Jesus, I need you. I love that song that we sang today, I surrender. Have your way, have your way. Man, if we never prayed another prayer, but every single morning we woke up and we said, Jesus, have your way, lead me, guide me. I wanna be, you know, like moldable in your hands. I wanna be a vessel that you can fill and that you can steer and that you can shape. What an amazing prayer. And so where are you at today, church? We talked about how we're gonna be a three-chair church. Maybe you need to think about, personally, how am I coming across, when my neighbor thinks of me, What? how am I representing Jesus? And I know I've messed up majorly in this, in this area. Me and, me and Jolie used to have a neighbor that we, <laughs> we did not get along with. And even though we tried so hard to represent Jesus so well, it felt like we could never win. And so, you know, sometimes you do the best you can do and, and that's all you can do. But, you know, it's okay to still think about, man, how could I make that relationship better with that person in the cubicle across from me that doesn't know Jesus? How could I represent Jesus better on this Zoom call that I don't want to be on and, and I just feel like I have to be here and interacting with these people? Because it's not just about, about being a three-chair church in here, it's about you being a, a three-chair Minister the gospel. Every person's a minister. Every person has a call in their life to be a light for Jesus out there. What about displaying unity in our actions and attitudes? Man, this is something that we continuously have to work with. And so maybe for you, your next step with that one is going to somebody and sitting down with them, knee-to-knee, nose-to-nose, maybe not that close, but you know, six feet, and, and saying, man, either... I'm sorry I hurt you or I was hurt by you and I, we need to talk. Matthew 18 says, go to that person, talk to them about it. Don't talk to everybody else about it. Talk to them about it and make it right. Maybe, you know, when we talked about excellence and love, you're like, man, yeah, I want to do my best for the kingdom of God. I want to do my best for Jesus. We talk about consistent improvement and you're like, Joe, man, I've settled. Or man, I'm offended that you even told me I need to get better. Or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever your response might be, what if we all said, Jesus, I want to be the best I can be for your glory and for your honor. Here's my life as an offering. I give it to you. Amen. Stand to your feet today. And if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you're like, Joe, man, <clears throat> This heart that you've been talking about in Heart Matters the past few weeks has really got me thinking. And before I begin this journey, I've realized one thing, that my heart needs to be right with Jesus, that I need a relationship with him. So with everybody's eyes bowed, or heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you could just think about that for a moment, where are you at with Jesus? And if you say, Joe, I need to take a step towards Jesus today, I need to give him my life, I need to surrender my all to Him. If that's you today, with nobody else looking around, just as a sign that, man, I want to be on the same page with God. I want to give my life to Him. I want to trust that He rose from that He died for me on the cross. He rose again on the third day, and and I want to give my life to Him. If that's you, just raise your hand today. I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, so much for raising your hands right there at your seat. I'm going to lead you in a prayer today, and. As a church family, we're all going to pray with you. And so I'll say a prayer. You repeat after me. And all together with confidence, like we mean it, we're going to pray this prayer to our Father in heaven. Repeat after me. Jesus, I give my life to you. I trust you. I believe in you. You died for me. You rose again. And I can have new life in you. I lay my life at your feet. I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. From this point forward, my life is about you and not about me. Help me to follow you. Help me to make wise choices that reflect your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give those that accepted Christ today a big hand. Amen. Amen. Now, church, now we get to do two of my favorite things in the world. There will be some, some leaders from our church across the front up here. If you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you. Man, when you just pray with somebody, amazing things happen. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there in the midst of them. And where Jesus is you know, freedom happens, and chains are broken, and people get healed, and so they'll be up front, and then the other thing that's my favorite is just hanging out, and so I'll be in the lobby, um, and there'll be some other people from the church just hanging out. I encourage you to get to know somebody. Grab a coffee, you know, stick around a little bit. Uh, Don't rush off, and and spend some time with God's family today. Amen. God, I bless your people. Help them to have an amazing week. Help us to be great representations of you at work in your name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.